What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to episode nine of the True North Talk Show, featuring Peter Burnett and myself, Joseph Staten. And in this episode, we have a very special guest joining the show, Pastor Mike Burtonet out of Xenia, Ohio. He pastors a church called Mount Zion Church there, and Mike was a, is a great guy that I've gotten to know over the years, and he's actually Peter's dad, for those of you who don't know. Um, you'll you'll very soon find that out here in the show, but in this episode, we wanted, we kind of wanted to talk to him about his background and how he how God called him to ministry and being a pastor, and just ways that Christians can find out what gifts God has given them and how we can potentially lead if we if we feel like God is calling us to lead and whether that be a ministry or the church or maybe to be a pastor and also later in the episode we're going to dive into um, a little bit of John 2 and just how um, you know Jesus kind of showed us how we should deal with feelings of anger sometimes and emotions and how just you know dive into that subject as well so to start us off uh, Mike why don't you give us a little bit of uh, background on yourself Absolutely. Well, Peter and Joseph, thanks for having me tonight. It's a real pleasure to be here with you both. And uh, yeah, my background, basically, um, I grew up in a suburb of Cleveland, Ohio. Um, I went to school originally as a finance major uh, and was in the business world for about seven, eight years. And I know you're going to ask me some questions about it here coming up in just a moment. But over time, felt like the Lord was calling me into full-time vocational ministry uh, so now I've been involved in that in, in full-time ministry since 2003. So yeah, almost 20 years now. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm a father of three, not only Peter, but uh, another son, Johnny, and a daughter named Caroline. And, and my wife, Jenny, and I have been married uh, almost 24 years. So that's yeah, in a nutshell, so, a little bit about me. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. We're, ha- we're having a little bit of an audio, uh, I don't know. I guess we'll see how this goes because we're filming in two different locations, actually. Peter's all moved into Omaha right now, so... Uh, but just a quick question on a few few things you you listed there in your background. So I obviously Peter and I met in 2016. I think at the time um, you were pastoring a church over in the Black Look area. Is that is that correct? Well, that's right. Actually, I was a youth and outreach pastor for a church in New Albany. So yeah, the Columbus area. Uh, we served there for several years. That was after we were done being in missions for a while. But yeah, I was a youth pastor there. Uh, my wife and I actually started up a youth ministry uh, from the bottom, from the ground up. Okay. And then I know also you were, you, you've also coached some baseball, haven't you? I think Peter told me that uh, just in conversation over the years, like you've, you've coached baseball. So have you, could you give a little bit of background on, on that part of your, your past? Absolutely. I love baseball. Uh, yeah, starting from when Peter and his brother Johnny were little kids, uh, coached Little League with them all the way up through a little bit into high school. Absolutely love the game. I played in softball leagues, not a very high level, but played in softball leagues for, oh, about 25 years or so. Absolutely love the game. And uh, it was a joy to coach my sons and obviously all the other kids on the teams uh, over the years. Up until about, about 2016, I think, was when I was done coaching. Which, unfortunately, was right before I uh, met Pete and, and went to Liberty and played baseball, or else we could have had a little thing going there. But um, it's not surprising. I mean, leading a baseball team coaching, it's kind of in the same boat, I think, as – I mean, somewhat as far as, like, leading a congregation. I think some of the the characteristics and traits that go into leading a team are very similar um, as leading a church. Obviously, there's nuances in each of those things, but – I guess just to start us off, um, if you could give us a little background on, you know, your story with your faith, um, you know, have you always been saved or is there a certain age where you, you found God and, and kind of just a little bit of your story on that? 
No doubt. Yeah. Well, uh, I grew up uh, as a very moralistic person, but not involved in the church at all, not involved in a personal relationship with Jesus Christ at all. And in fact, you know, some people grow up basically knowing Jesus, but of course, all of us have to have one point in our life where we've decided to follow Jesus. But for me, yeah, I knew besides what, you know, the general American public knows about Jesus coming from a quote unquote Christian nation, uh, I was not a Christian at all, never went to church, not even Christmas and Easter. Um, and I always knew there was something kind of missing, especially as I went up through high school and into college. I, I felt like something was missing in my life, but honestly, at times I didn't know what that was because uh, I had never experienced Jesus personally. I even remember praying to God, um, but I didn't know the Lord and I hadn't asked him to forgive me of my sins. And so really, long story short, um, it was in the mid 90s or so. I kind of wanted to try church, but I always found one reason or, or another and living in the pattern of the world, uh, you know, and, and it always left me empty at times. It wasn't like I was always miserable, of course, but, you know, at, at a deep level, there was something missing. And mm -hmm. uh, actually, it was uh, it was around the time that I met my future wife. Uh, her name was Jenny Dolish at the time, and she invited me to church, a, a church up in suburban Cleveland. And of course, uh, I was interested in her, so that was part of it. But but honestly, <laughs> I really did want to check out the church, and and uh, so it, that was the summer of 1996. Um, started going to church basically every Sunday and started reading the Bible for the first time in my life, uh, particularly reading the Gospel of John. And I remember it was actually, I know the date that I was saved. It was September 23rd, 1996. I prayed to receive Jesus Christ as my Savior, to ask him to forgive me of my sins. And uh, he made me a new creation, and the Holy Spirit has been living in me ever since. Amen. And that's that's amazing, the details on that. You mentioned a few things that stuck out to me there. So September 23rd, first of all, that's one day before my birthday, random fact. Uh, but also, Peter and I were talking about last episode, actually. I think he mentioned the book of John is such a great book to start in for those who are, I guess, unfamiliar with the faith or, I don't know, new to the faith and are looking for kind of just a place to start. It's a, it's a great way to get started in the Bible. Uh, but just... Uh, I know you get like that was a brief story, but I guess a little bit more detail on, you know, what changed in your life when you did accept Jesus as your savior? Like what, what did you notice? What did, what just began to change about you and the way you lived your life when that happened? Oh, great question. And of course that continues to this day. I'm still growing in my rela relationship with the Lord. Um, but uh, I would say a few things for one, I didn't want to do some of the negative or destructive habits that I was involved in before I became a Christian. Uh, you know, I really didn't have a desire to partake in those things like drinking and partying and things like that. Um, but also, you know, it really didn't take too long. And I'm, I'm, not, I'm not saying I, I don't still struggle with this sometimes, but I had a deep seated joy at that point because I knew kind of the purpose, actually really the purpose of why I was created, and that's to give glory to God. Um, where before, you know, I was kind of just living for myself and, um, you know, tried to be a moralistic person. So, and then also it wasn't too much longer after that, the church that we were part of up in Cleveland, when we lived in Cleveland, was very much uh, growing believers in their faith in Christ. So I was involved in some small groups from the very beginning that helped give me a good foundation for the truths of the Christian faith. And as well, 
giving me opportunities, Jenny and I both, to serve in the church in various avenues. And so then I started to see how God had gifted me, the spiritual gifts, the, the areas of service that I enjoyed, and maybe the ones that I wasn't so good at. So uh, it really was early on in my Christian faith because of that church, uh, Cornerstone Community Church, um, that, that really gave me a good foundation well for the last 25 plus years now. Hmm, and that's and that's amazing. You talked about just, um, I mean, how early on in your faith, just one other quick question, how early on in your faith uh, was it when you started serving in the church? Absolutely. I think it was about a year later, and it's kind of funny because at that time I'm only in my early to mid-20s, and uh, there was a need uh, because that church went to a local nursing home twice a month, and they needed some more people to help with that ministry. And so that was very outside of my comfort zone at first, being a young man and everything. Uh, mm-hmm. But I think we, we ended up serving in that ministry for about five years. And my wife, soon to be my wife and I, uh, really enjoyed it. And so, yeah, it was within about a year uh, of being saved, of going from basically almost no knowledge of Jesus to, you know, trusting in him and then learning about him and then getting right into service. And I think that's a huge uh, thing for all of our listeners uh, to understand as well, because I kind of have a a little bit of a different story. So I'm not sure if you've uh, heard my testimony, but I, I was saved from a pretty young age. But as far as being involved in a church goes, that, that didn't really come until later in my life almost, I would say, because only recently, like less than a year ago, I, I kind of found my church home and just starting to serve and finding ways to, to serve has been a huge game changer for me as far as like understanding what it means to be, you know, a child of God and and use your gifts. And I'm still looking for those. I'm still trying to find out exactly what gifts I have. So, um, I think that's a huge, that's a great piece of advice. Uh, but just, I guess even another question on that for, for myself and our listeners is like, what would you say is a good way to identify, uh, the gifts that God has given you? Cause I feel like sometimes it's overwhelming. Um, you know, somebody like me, I've, I have so many different interests and it's almost like I don't know which one to pick or which one to focus on because I feel like there's just many ways I could go. So what would you say is a good way uh, to identify, you know, gifts that God has given you? Absolutely. I can give you probably about four. First off, pray. Uh, and I believe that the Holy Spirit will make it clear to you how he's how the Lord has designed you to serve his church and to let people know uh, the goodness of God and to serve him in different ways. So first pray. Another way is to read some passages, particularly in the Bible, that speak of spiritual gifts. Uh, the two main ones are in Romans 12 and in 1 Corinthians 12. So if you read those two chapters in Scripture, it talks about the spiritual gifts, and, and God the Holy Spirit has given all of us at least one to build up his church. Uh, then the third thing Talk to some people, especially godly people who really know you, because they know sometimes they know you more than than you do, you know, (laughs) you know, because we have blind spots and they might you you might think, for example, and I'm not using you as an example, but one person might think, well, gee, I'm the I'm a great teacher. But then maybe someone else would be like, "Eh, I'm not so sure. And then the fourth thing is to just try different ministries. Um, Some of them you may find out pretty clearly that you're just not suited for, for whatever reason. Uh, Others, it's just going to be right in your sweet spot. And by saying that, that doesn't mean that some ministries, you know, you won't have difficulties, 
but you'll just know, you'll know that this is how God has designed you when, you know, you're, there's going to be fruitfulness at times. There's just going to be joy. And even if it's hard, you're like, it's almost like you can't do enough of it at times. So those four things, prayer, the scriptures, talk to someone that you, that really knows you, especially a godly person. And then, and then try different areas of service. I think, yeah, those are great pointers. And I, I appreciate that advice for honestly, like I said, myself, and I, I know, I know that people listening are going to take uh, some value from that. But I think also an important point with that, and you may have a, you know, some input on this as well, but just, I know a lot of um, Christians nowadays with how technology is and just the convenience and everything, they don't want to get involved even going to a church, let alone serving in a community or in a church uh, because of the ease of access and kind of just the, you know, the commercialization of the church. It's easy to not even, you know, be involved physically in a church and in a community. So, I mean, how important do you think that is to not only just serve in a church, but let alone just like go to a church and be involved in a church community? Absolutely. That's a great question, Joseph. And that's a struggle that most churches have these days, especially in these COVID days. But it's really clear in Scripture. In fact, one verse in particular is, a he- is Hebrews 10.25, and that says to not forsake the assembling together with other believers. And there are several, there's several reasons for it, but one is good for you. And I think any of us who've watched a worship service from our computer, you know, on a TV screen, it's, it's just really hard to worship the Lord when you're by yourself. I know sometimes mm-hmm. we need to do that, you know, but it's hard, hard to really do that and really be involved. But then also who knows, you know, you go to church on a given Sunday, who knows who the Lord might have in your path that you can encourage. Maybe it's just a smile. And even if it's just a basic conversation or something, you know, God uses us every day if we're willing to be his hands, his feet, his, his voice. And it's really hard to do that. It's not impossible, but it's really hard to do it when we're, you know, when we're sitting and watching at home. And I, I say that gently because I know these are tough times. And I know some people uh, have medical needs and such that maybe would keep them at home. But I really want to encourage people, if at all possible, to get out there. Because, again, that's how you're going to grow. And that's how God's going to use you to bless others. And, again, it's scriptural. It's in Hebrews 10.25, among other places. That's yeah, that's that's an amazing point because I've had so many experiences myself that I could attest to that. Um, not only the effect that you're having on others, like with something like a smile, like you're saying, or even a conversation, but also prayer. I mean, you you get involved with the church and you build relationships with others, and you know, hopefully, you're engaging with them and seeing, you know, what can I pray for you for, or vice versa. You know, I've had many people that are, you know, open-hearted and just great, great people that they want to pray for you. And if you go to church, you know, if you have these burdens or if something's on your heart or something, it, the best thing ever that can encourage you, sometimes it's the smallest thing, but if somebody comes over, you say, Hey, can I, can I pray for like, what can I pray for you for? And you pray, or you have conversations and those, those things literally might change your life. It may sound, I don't know, like a little bit ridiculous, but it's true. Like these small conversations, you just never know, like you said, who's going to be in your path that day. And you just, you cannot do that unless you're going to a church and getting involved in a church. So I think, I think that's a great point, but kind of going back to, uh, we got a little bit off track, but, um, your, your past. So how did God, you know, when did you know that God called you to be a pastor and what, what was that like? Oh, that's a good question too. Yeah. Like I said, I was in commercial real estate when I was in my mid to late twenties and, uh, back to that church that I mentioned up in, up in the Cleveland suburbs, Uh, Not only did I help with the nursing home ministry, but then at one point someone asked me, hey, you should come check out the youth ministry. 
And so I was like, well, I guess I'll try it. And uh, so I did. And so I served there for four years as a volunteer. Uh, the church had a youth pastor, so I was a volunteer there. Just absolutely loved uh, serving, getting to know the students, you know, coming alongside the youth pastor and helping him. And so I guess it was just over a period of a few years there. And it was confirmed, you know, not only uh, at that point, my wife and I, we were newly married. We began praying about this. We felt like God was putting on our hearts more, you know, for me. And, and I'm not, you know, for a lot of people, we need believers in the marketplace. You know, not everyone's called to be a pastor or a missionary. Uh, we need Christians in the marketplace. But for me, we just started feeling like that wasn't where God was calling me long term. So we began praying about it. My wife and I, we started talking with people within our church and they began to confirm that. And it really, for me now, I don't, I don't necessarily encourage this for everybody. At that point, I did not have any formal theological education, uh, but there was a church actually in, in Southern Michigan, in Hillsdale, Michigan, uh, that took a chance on me despite not having formal training. And it was late in 2002, you know, I started looking for positions and this church hired me and we moved there in January 03. Soon after that, I started taking some classes and eventually I did get my seminary degree actually many years later, to be honest with you. Uh, but yeah, it was just, it was over a period of time, again, trying out a few different ministries and seeing for me that God was calling me to, you know, to vocational ministry. And I say vocational so, on purpose because any ministry that any of us are involved in, you know, we could be serving as a minister, as a sports reporter, or as a business analyst, or as a waiter or waitress, or, you know, we can and should minister in any capacity, but vocational meaning obviously our job. Right. And I would encourage everybody listening to go listen to the, the previous episode because Peter and I actually kind of dove into how you can, can do that on the job. You know, how do you go about those conversations, um, witnessing to other people? Um, outside of the church setting, but so you were you were saying uh, that you basically got started in, in leading a youth ministry, and that's kind of how you recognize that. Hey, I like shepherding others. Is that is that accurate? Yes, and that God had you know given me some gifts to convey the truths of Scripture, even though they were certainly being developed at that time. I'd probably cringe if I heard some of my messages that I gave in the early days, mm -hmm. or <laughs> some some of the days. Sometimes now, <laughs> but uh, yeah. but yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. He, you know, I could see that He was calling me to that. Yeah. Well, that's that's amazing. It's a a really cool story there. I think that's. I mean, I think that's a. a a genuinely good way for those who feel like God may be leading you to, to go down that path of possibly leading is, you know, see if you do enjoy doing it. See if you like, you know, enjoy being around younger, you know, kids, maybe even like middle school, high school kids like that. That would make sense. Honestly, that that is a I feel like that's a good way to like get your foot in the water. And I bet, you know, that was a, a good um, pointer for you almost. But um Kind of diving deeper into that, I kind of want to read a scripture about, you know, the responsibilities that you have being a pastor, um, and we can talk about, you know, just maybe how that can relate to just leading in general, but but definitely as a pastor. So I want to read James 3, 1 to 2, um, and I included the second verse because I think it's it, it just gives a, a better picture, but uh, it says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. And then it says, for we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. So verse two, we all stumble. Obviously, nobody's perfect. But my question for you is, what does it mean? I mean, how do we like apply that as far as like, 
you know, teachers being judged with greater strictness and what does that, what burden does that put on you being a pastor and how do you kind of deal with that? Absolutely. I love that passage. I mean, the whole book of James is so practical um, that yes. any of us, and, and by the way, it doesn't just apply to, to pastors, full-time pastors, anyone who's teaching the word of God, but definitely right. I take those verses extremely seriously. And the reason why is because if I'm teaching false doctrine, if I'm teaching things that will lead the sheep astray, then those have that false teaching has potentially eternal consequences. And so it's very important for me to correctly handle the word of truth, as it says, I believe, in 1 Timothy. Uh, and again, sometimes we could take one scripture and interpret it in different ways, okay? But to take seriously uh, the scriptures, you know, the, the interpretation of scriptures, and then teaching that, because again, it can, you know, some of the worst lies come with quite a bit of truth in it, but then there's enough twisted so that people are led down a wrong path. So that is definitely a warning for anybody who teaches. Obviously, a pastor is a teacher um, and a shepherd of, of his flock. And so, my goodness, that is... Um, that's a, a strong warning. It's it's important to get, you know, like I mentioned a few minutes ago, it's important to get theological education, if at all possible, um, which for most of us, it's really easy this day, uh, these days. Uh, and then again, to, you know, rightly handle scripture, uh, because man, I, I don't want to lead someone astray um, thinking, you know, thinking that they're saved, for example, and maybe they're not, or in, in an, another important area of, of beliefs about Jesus Christ. And what you were saying about the Bible, as far as like taking a little bit of truth and twisting it to, to push your own message, I think that will almost lead into the the discussion about theology. So I guess I could ask you about that as well. Like what role does theology have when you're teaching the Bible and how, how important is it to have uh, the proper understanding of scripture when you are teaching it? For sure. Absolutely critical. Just a short answer to that is absolutely critical. And again, people do have dis different uh, systematic theology, and not all of that is heretical, you know, because, for example, let's just take the whole, and I think you guys have talked about this before, the whole difference between, say, Calvinistic theology or Arminian theology. Calvinism, you know, stresses more the sovereignty of God and how he cho chooses some to salvation, where someone with an Arminian background more stresses the free will of man in making his or her choice. Her, his or her choice for Christ. So I do want to say that um, off the off the get go. But of course, there's also core beliefs, core theology that if we are off on, say, the fact that Jesus Christ is 100 percent God and 100 percent man, that would be a core doctrine. You know, the fact that he had to die on the cross to pay the price for our sins because none of us could ever pay it um, to appease God's just wrath. That's core theology. You know, the resurrection of Christ uh, and, and what that accomplished, meaning, you know, God was saying, hey, I accept this payment that Jesus did on our behalf that, you know, then I accepted that. So he was raised to the dead or raised from the dead. Excuse me. Um, so theology is is very important. It's also in my um, years of being a pastor and serving in the church, etc., um, theology or orthodoxy, which means right belief, is extremely important. Also, just as important is right practice, which we can also call orthopraxy. Um, someone who just majors on theology and just you know has all his his or her facts in a line 
can tend to be very cold in nature and very judgmental, almost like a Pharisee in a way. It's very mm -hmm. important. But if they only do that, then they're out of balance. And on the other hand, those who, oh, I just want to love and serve others, but I, it doesn't really matter what we believe, then that's just like, oh, kind of Santa Claus sentimentalism kind of. <laughs> so you Which need is very both. popular in today's culture, actually. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, probably more people, more believers fall on that end of things where, oh, I just want to love, I want to show mercy, who cares if what we know. You know, both are important. So absolutely, especially as a teacher, as a pastor, or other leaders in the church, you know, to teach good theology. That's one of the reasons why um, most of the time I preach through books of the Bible, uh, so that can give people a good, um, rather than just picking and choosing topics, which I know a lot of pastors like to do, um, but if you preach through a book of the Bible, you're going to have to teach some things that might make people squirm. Quite frankly, sometimes it makes me squirm as I prepare the messages, but that's the good because God's word is... Offend. absolutely. Exactly. God's word is living and active. It's like a double-edged sword. It says that in Hebrews. Yes, and I think it's a it's a really delicate balance. I mean... I can only imagine preaching, obviously, God has many qualities, but, you know, the wrath of God, but also the love of God, it's, they're both very real, and just finding that balance, um, I'm sure, is very difficult, but how, how do you find the balance of teaching, I guess, um, you know, from a certain the theological perspective, because I, I would definitely say I'm, I'm more reformed in my theology, and I think that's um, scripturally based, but how do you manage that while also keeping a message, um, you know, digestible for the entire church body and not just directed at a certain segment of the population? That's a great point, Joseph, because it's also true that some pastors will only teach theology and then it's kind of like, so what? A sermon should always have a so what for people's lives today in 2022. So what I learned in seminary is, I, and again, I love preaching through the Bible because it's going to force me to, to teach my flock, you know, a, a wide variety of the truths of Scripture. So what I learned in seminary is as you break down a passage, the first and most important thing that you need to do is called exegesis. And it comes from a Greek word. It's basically breaking down the text. You're looking at the background. You're looking at the original Greek and Hebrew words because sometimes you can get nuanced meanings with those that you can't find in modern English um, when, you know, when these books were originally written. Uh, so you break down the text as, as well as you can. And one of the blessings of being a pastor today is that you have so many resources online, as well as in print, but really online, uh, that can You're help you to You're referring to more like an expository teaching style, correct? Exactly. Yes, you're expositing, you're breaking down the meaning of the text, and that's the most critical thing. So that's every time I do a sermon, I, you know, most American pastors have three-point sermons. <laughs> um, recently, I've been doing two-point sermons just because I've been breaking down the Sermon on Ooh, the Mount. He's a rebel. But that's he definitely an, cannot be a Baptist yeah. at this point. <laughs> yeah, breaking but away so first you, you, yeah, you break down the passage <laughs> with exegesis, um, and then what I learned, the second part of what you do is you find... Um, illustrations, and that could be cross-references in different Bible verses. It can also be situations that people are dealing with in life today that can relate to the text that you're preaching. And so it's kind of like, oh, that makes sense. It helps clarify 
a passage that you're working on. And then the third point that's also very important is application. And again, that's the so what. Living today in 2022, I'm, you know, I've got a job, I've got kids, I'm going to college, whatever the case may be. Uh, how can I? How can God's word apply to my life today? Because otherwise, it's just you know, and we know this is not true. But otherwise, if you don't apply it, it's just it's just head knowledge, and you're not doing anything with it. Right, and and I think that's that's so important is is having real life application. Obviously, we want to come into church and understand what this message means to us. It's like you're saying is if somebody's just preaching um, theology straight at you, like this is how it is, this breaking this down, but there's no application. It's almost like, okay, well, what's the practicality of the message? There's nothing we can do with this now. So, um, I think it's, it's interesting to get that perspective. It's, it's very helpful because oftentimes we don't understand how it feels. Um, I'm sure just this, the responsibility and the, the weight of being a leader um, in a church congregation. And I think the fact is that most Christians are not in those positions. So that's kind of why I wanted to, to talk about this because it really helps us. I mean, it honestly humanizes our pastors because nobody's perfect. Um, but, you know, with that being said, I, the, the last question I had on this, this subject really was like, what, um, what advice would you give? I know we talked about um, trying out different ministries, seeing how praying and figure out the gifts that God gives you, but any practical advice on how, you know, young, to young Christians on how we can, we, we can lead in our local church bodies. For sure. And I just wanted to add just a, two more really quick points to kind of sermon Absolutely. preparation. Thank you. Um, I do pray also every week before I prepare a message because I want God's word and, and the applications that I bring to hit my congregation's heart. And then also, you know, not only praying each week, but praying in advance uh, what book of scripture, or sometimes I do topical sermons, you know, knowing my flock. And of course, there's a wide range of people, obviously, uh, but, you know, kind of just sensing from God what do they need to learn, you know, two months from now or three months from now, that type of thing. So, yeah, mm -hmm. going back to your question, how can young people look for opportunities to lead in the church? Oh, that's a that's a great question. And my encouragement is if you're in a church that values all people, um, most churches are not uh, don't don't have an overabundance of people willing to serve and to lead. <laughs> Unfortunately, yes. it's it's more the opposite that, you know, sometimes, honestly, you know, pastors and other church leaders are almost looking for a warm body, which isn't a good way to go. But in other <laughs> words, <laughs> yeah, that, that you can get into a lot of trouble that way, seriously. But um, yeah, definitely. you, know, this, you the can't same have the unqualified, you know, taking the positions. No way. Right. Right. And some and of course, there's kind of, quote unquote, on the job training, even, you know, even if it is a volunteer, you're still on the job. But absolutely kind of going back to what I talked about a few minutes ago with the spiritual gifts, you know, trying different things. If you know your pastor, talk to him. Obviously, if you go to a mega church, that might not be possible. But, um, you know, talk to your pastor or some sort of church leader and see what kind of openings there are. You know, they they may just faint. And, you know, once they pick themselves off the floor, they'll be like, oh, well, here's five different areas where you could serve. You know, which one sounds most interesting to you? And again, like I said before, maybe uh, take a couple months and um, try a few of them. You know, try one of them for one month. Try another one for two months and see how they go. And honestly, if you have a heart that loves Jesus and wants to grow closer to the Lord 
and loves the church, which is, you know, God's instrument for, for reaching people who don't yet know Jesus, as well as growing the faith of believers, you will find opportunities not only to serve, but also to lead. And I think those go hand in hand, you know, go in with a humble attitude, uh, go in teachable, don't go in thinking, well, gee, I'm going to lead this huge ministry from the get-go. You know, have a servant's heart, obviously, like Jesus, thinking about in the, in the Gospel of John when he washed the disciples' feet in John 13. You know, go in with a humble attitude, be teachable, and I can guarantee you it won't take too long before you find opportunities to serve and to lead. Yes, and, and it's, I think, the, the biggest, almost the biggest barrier for leading, I think the most common thing that I've witnessed in my life and just many different situations, even not even just church, but just, I think it's a fear that, you know, given the, the position that you will not be able to perform up to expectations or um, obviously when you're talking about leading in the church, it almost feels at times like, well, I'm just a human being. I'm not perfect myself. So how am I in any position to lead other people? But I think like you're saying it is just, if you have a servant's heart, understanding, being humble, like you're nothing's going to be perfect. You're not going to do something the perfect way the first time. It's about growing and just taking that first step. So I think that's amazing advice. Is there anything else that you want to add on to that before we kind of transition into the next topic here? Yes. And you added some good things there too. I would say also, first and foremost, you are living and serving for an audience of one, and that's the Lord Jesus. Um, because yes. it's tough in ministry, whether especially if you're a pastor, but even if you're volunteering in a role, it could be really hard because there are different expectations that other people have, and it could be real easy to fall into a trap of, of being a people pleaser. A lot of people in ministry are like that. They go in because they love people, they want to serve people, and you are, but ultimately, first and foremost, you're serving God, and you're not going to please everybody. Like you said, you're going to grow. You want to go in there with a, with a humble attitude of wanting to grow, but you're not going to please everybody. Uh, I'm still learning how to do that <laughs> and not taking that too hard. Uh, trust me, and probably most pastors are. Um, but uh, yeah, you're not going to please everybody, but of course you want to serve people in Jesus' name. Yeah, and I want to read... Um... I want to read a scripture actually about that. It says, woe to you when everyone speaks well of you, for that's how their ancestors treat the, the false prophets. This is Luke 6, 26. It's Jesus um, talking about, you know, be, you're not going to please everybody. You're not going to win everybody over. In fact, you're going, you're, you're going to lose most people if you're truly living up to what God tells us to do, which is preach the gospel, which is not, unfortunately, it's just not popular with most people. And that we just have to realize that. Now, that does, does that mean that we alienate most people? No. But what it means is that we, ex we should not expect... To, to be a people pleaser, like you said, we should not expect to to please everybody. It's just not realistic, and especially in the world of the church. So I think that's it's amazing advice. It was it was a very good conversation. I hope that we had practical takeaways for people that are looking to serve, looking to find their gifts, and just I think your story as far as like how you came into leadership in the church, it's it makes it digestible for people like me that are young because oftentimes people that are, are younger, they, it almost feels like, well, like I'm 22, for example, like how could I ever imagine myself like in a leadership position like that? But it's like, you, you have to start somewhere and just hearing your story it made it, it just makes it more, um, I don't know, I guess it paints a picture that anybody that has a heart and, and truly desires to lead, you know, you can do it if you just have to commit to it and commit to growing like you're saying. But you know, I just want to, you know, thanks for coming on the, the podcast. Thank you for coming on the show. It's me and Pete are going to 
to transition here into a little bit of John two and, and switch the subject. And you're more than welcome to, to stick around and add any comments if you have any input on, on the, the reading here. But yeah, just thank you I'll so much for to. coming on. Absolutely. Thank you, Joseph and Peter. I'll be glad to add anything in the next section if you want me to. Yes, absolutely. Pete, are you there? So yeah, I'm here. So for everybody listening, I hope, I hope you enjoyed that conversation. It was really cool for me to just kind of sit back and listen. Obviously a lot of what my dad or Mike for the listeners said, pastor Mike said, I've, I've heard before, but some of it was new and some of it was said in a way maybe that I haven't heard before. So that was really a valuable conversation. It was kind of I know nobody heard me probably for those first 35 minutes or so, but it was it was nice for me to be able to just kind of sit back and, and listen to that conversation. Yeah, and I didn't like I'm not meaning like um, that he's out of the conversation now. I'm just it was a transition point, and he's still around. And I hope that he <laughs> he hears me right now. You, we're Peter and, and Pastor Mike are sharing a microphone right now, so um, we're gonna still try to have a, a conversation, but it'll probably be between Peter and him the rest of the way. But. Um, so this next part of the pod, I wanted to read uh, a, a passage that my church was uh, been going into the bu- the book of John. We're in John chapter two um, and three, and this was about um, you know Jesus going flipping the tables for you know basically the church where there was things going on that he did not agree with, and kind of just we want to dive into the idea of righteous anger and whether or not Christians, um, how they should deal with these things and whether or not we could have emotions of anger without mishandling it. So Peter, do you want to read, uh, John two thirteen to 25, please? Yeah, I'd be happy to. So Sweet. again, Joseph just said it, but it's John chapter two verses 13 to 25. If you want to grab your Bible and follow along or read on your own later, but, um, starting in verse 13, when it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem In the temple courts he found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords and drove them all from the temple courts, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. To those who sold doves, he said, Get these out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. His disciples remembered that it is written, Zeal for your house will consume me. The Jews then responded to him, What sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all of this? Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and I will raise it again in three days. They replied, It has taken 46 years to build this temple, and you are going to raise it in three days? But the temple he had spoken of was his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said. Then they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. Now, while he was in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, many people saw the signs he was performing and believed in his name. But Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all people. He did not need any testimony about mankind, for he knew what was in each person. Okay, thanks, Peter. So, the first thing that I wanted to, to I guess, ask um, both of you about is something that sticks out to me here at the end of, of the first paragraph here, um, ending with verse 16 or 17. And it's when Jesus said, stop turning my father's house into a market. And when he said this, clearly uh, the Jewish people heard that and said, what sign can you show show us to prove your authority to do all this? And what they, I mean, I guess I'll ask both of you, if either one of you want to take this question, but just what does that question really show us about how they saw what Jesus said there and what he did? I think I'll I'll, I'll answer this first and then obviously I'll hand, hand the mic over, but I think it shows that they kind of had these long established um just ideals or whatever or these procedures these um just kind of familiar thing of going to 
to a place that should be a holy place. And obviously that's what um, caused the anger of Jesus to, to rise up here. Um, you know, is a place that should be reserved for worship and, you know, devotion to God. And instead, these these money changers and just people that were selling cattle, sheep and doves and others exchanging money, um, you know, that's that was what was comfortable for them. And, um, you know, sometimes that's what can kind of happen in a church is it kind of becomes a place where um, it's about more like the money making and almost back to what we we're talking about earlier, the people pleasing and stuff like that, rather than focused on pure um, devotion to God and prayer um, and, and worship, which is, which is what the temple was designed for. So I think that's what I um, pull out of it and I'll hand the mic over and see if there's anything else. Yeah. And before pastor Mike adds his comment, I do want to say like, I, I do think that, and you can correct me if, if I'm wrong about this uh, pastor Mike, but um, up here in the first paragraph, when it's when it's talking about um, them selling the animals in the, in the temples, I'm, it was not because it was almost like they were making it more convenient for the com- those coming to sacrifice. Because, for example, somebody didn't want to have to bring their animal from all the way across, you know, miles and miles and miles. You know, the animal might die. It's just a lot easier um, to have that done at the temple instead. Right. And the injustice there was that they were likely doing it to turn a profit. You know, they were um, charging exorbitant prices. And so it appears to be an act of injustice. And it's interesting because he said to those who sold doves and people who had to uh, purchase doves as a sacrifice were typically poorer people. Um, Just like when uh, after um, Jesus's birth, Joseph and Mary took two doves. They, they used two doves as part of the purification ritual. Uh, so, yeah, and then Jesus, uh, you know, says, wait a minute here, you're using this, you know, for your, for your own selfish purposes. So, yeah, it wasn't necessarily the fact that um, they were selling these items, but, it, you know, it appears as though they were using it as a barrier to worship, which, of course, that made Jesus righteously angry because this was a place where all people were to go and worship God. And then secondly, it appears as though they were especially taking advantage of those who were not, um, you know, well-to-do financially. And yeah, so the Jews responding, basically saying, who do you think you are? What sign, you know, it it appears to be early in his ministry that that this uh, happened. Uh, You know, who do you think you are to to tell us what to do here? You you appear to be just a common person from their perspective. Right. And and I think, you know, what I was looking at in this and what both of you, what, what you said, I completely agree with. But what sticks out to me is verse 19 when Jesus responded. He said, destroy this temple and I'll raise it again in three days. He's not talking about the physical temple. Clearly, that's that's a reference to the cross. And I think the reason that um, you guys can give me your your, uh, your opinion on this. But the reason he said that is because he was responding uh, when, the, when the Jews asked him, what sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all this? It's almost like they're asking, like give us a reason that you just said that this is your father's house. Like, are you the son of God? And his, his response was in line. He said, I'm pointing to the cross. I'm going to raise this again in three days. And it's almost like, it's like a bigger message hidden in there in the little nuggets of, of scripture. So do you, either one of you have any comment on that? Yeah. What I was just thinking about when you were saying that is basically, I mean, Jesus's perfect life and then sacrifice on the cross is what bridged that gap. So we no longer have to go to a temple and make sacrifices and so, yeah, what you said there about there being so much deeper meaning in this, obviously he's speaking metaphorically about his, you know, his body being raised again in three days, but also looking even deeper into this this short verse is that, you know, we no longer need the temple and Jesus provides that that bridge to, to God the Father. And 
Um, yeah, I think it, it's a really powerful verse. I mean, this whole passage is obviously too, but there's there's so much meaning in verse 19 that it's it's kind of kind of incredible to think about just you know all the meaning that is in there and how we no longer have to go. And I mean, I've been reading reading through the Old Testament recently, reading through Leviticus, and now I just crossed into Numbers and just reading all the rituals and sacrifices and all the stuff that people had to go through. I, you know, sometimes that's a part of the Bible that is, is easy to skip sometimes because it seems really boring to us, but the mindset um, that I went into and that I encourage other, other Christians to go into it is, is just looking like, you know, first of all, this shows how short of God we fall that we had to do all these sacrifices, but it also shows then um, that Jesus provided the, the ultimate sacrifice. So we no longer have to go to the temple and make these sacrifices. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's like a, it's just, a, there's two main points here and such a small, like such a small, um, what section of scripture, you know, you have the metaphor of the cross, but you also have, like you're saying, like when Jesus came, that's the point he came is to get rid of this whole process, which is pretty amazing. I think we take it for granted nowadays that we, cause we just don't understand probably the hassle it was to go to the temple, to be honest, <laughs> to get an animal yeah. and sacrifice it. Um, but yeah, it says in, in verse 21 here, um, the temple he had spoken of was his body. And after he raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he'd said and they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus spoken. So I think that's pretty powerful. But as far as this passage goes, um, pastor Mike, if you had any input on this, like what does this tell us about, um, uh, just anger in general, but also the fact that Jesus was able to get angry. Um, you know, what does that tell us about God and also just anger? Right. Well, it's a it's an emotion that God gave us. And if we use it in the correct way, you know, it can actually be beneficial uh, where we often fall short is we might think we're righteously angry, but we're really only selfishly angry because someone has offended us or inconvenienced us or, you know, done something or said something hurtful to us. But Jesus is clearly angry here because God, again, you know, God's being profaned. These, uh, these people who were making a profit were creating a barrier to worship, were acting unjustly. So that's why he was angry where, you know, they were, people were supposed to go there as a house of prayer and a house of worship for all the nations, by the way, not just for Israel. You know, there was a court of the Gentiles too at that time. And of course, uh, you know, when Jesus came, it also says in Matthew 5 that he didn't come to abolish the law. You guys were just talking about the law a minute ago. I did not come to but abolish to the law, it. Jesus said, but to fulfill it. Absolutely. Absolutely. So yeah, so righteous anger, um, you know, again, for God's name and, you know, that we do not want God to be uh, profaned in any way. We can truly be angry about that um, and we can confront people about that. Uh, we obviously have selfish anger, too, and we have to look at our motives when we deal with that anger or good, you know, productive ways to handle that anger, which we all do because we're all fallen people. Yeah, and there's a a Bible verse here I included, or a script, I guess, two verses I included here. Ephesians 4, 26, 27, it says, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. I think that, I mean, that's, um, there are many scriptures on anger, but just understanding how we properly can use the emotion. Um, do either one of you have any, any sort of um, opinion or just thought on just what Christians should be angry at and what we should do with those feelings? before we uh, cite, you know, more scripture on that. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, what, what my dad was just saying, Pastor Mike was saying is, is really, really well said about not letting selfish anger overcome us. 
um, and making sure. So what that would you say? Like, okay, maybe a better question would be what defines selfish anger? What defines righteous anger? I'll try to define it and then I'll give, give the microphone over. I would say if somebody, if somebody wrongs you and you just go after them for wronging you instead of maybe looking at, um, what could have caused you, caused them to, to wrong you if something's going on for them, that's something I try to do whenever I feel that somebody's wrong, wronged me is try to remember that they're going through things too. Um, but yeah, I'm not exactly quite so sure as how to define like separate from it being selfish anger. Um, I guess, I mean, this is a, a good example of it right here that's that's provided is when people turn something that should be pure in faith and turn it into an opportunity to, to make money or further themselves instead of further the kingdom of God. Um, I think that's a, an opportunity where righteous anger is, is valid. Um, but I'll, I'll turn it over because... He'll yeah, have just, a little bit of a better answer, but just before like Pastor Mike puts his input, there's another verse I want to read really quickly. I think it gives him gives some context, and it's back in James, uh, James one nineteen to twenty. It says, "Know this, my beloved brothers: let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God." So that kind of gives a little little pretext um, there. Definitely. And I think both of you hit the topic pretty well. I would just add, maybe said a little bit differently, you know, there's self-centered anger and then there's God-centered anger where, again, someone is profaning the name of God or, you know, even false teaching. We could be angry at that because it's leading people down a wrong path. What we just talked about, you know, 10 minutes or so ago. Uh, So, again, most of our anger, if we're honest with ourselves, you know, on a daily or weekly basis is probably self-centered. Again, someone hurt our feelings. Someone, you know, inconvenienced us. Someone made us upset. Uh, we, we were impatient with someone. How many times have we fallen with that? And again, that's all, those are all examples of self-centered anger versus, again, for God's holiness, God's justice, God's truth. And if someone is violating those, uh, then we have a right to be angry with them. And again, there's ways to deal with it productively. You know, the Ephesians passage is saying it's okay to be angry, but don't sin in that. We could still sin in dealing with righteous anger. You know, we, of course, our goal is always to lead someone to repentance. If someone is a believer, you know, we could clearly talk to them about, talk with them about that. If someone's not a believer, we could pray and look for opportunities to share the good news of the gospel so that they could be made right with God. Uh, because without having received Jesus, you know, the Bible says clearly that we're all enemies of Christ. Right. And there and there is a protocol in the Bible about how do we go about correcting sin and having those conversations. But I think anger is the it's almost like what stimulates us to take action and do the right thing. So if we didn't have anger, if we didn't have righteous anger, for example, like you said, um, witnessing somebody leading others astray, that's going to stimulate some righteous anger because you're witnessing somebody potentially lead other people away from God. So of course that's messed up. That's going to stimulate that emotion within us, but it's almost like what really matters is what do we do with that emotion? Do we let it consume us and we just blow up and use our anger for the wrong reasons and sin in that anger? Or do we use the anger to realize, Hey, this is not okay. This is not the right thing. Let me, let me go to God about this and see how do I approach this situation that's making me angry in the, in the best way possible. I think just taking that time and having the, the the understanding that you're not going to do something smart when you act while you're angry is pretty important. But sometimes there's situations where we don't necessarily have a bunch of time to let something you know digest. So 
Um, the second passage about being slow to anger, I think is important too, because we can have that emotion of anger, but it's also not letting it completely consume us at that very moment. It's about realizing what's going on, but also understanding there's a way to approach situations. So is there anything that you, you know, want to add to that, Peter? Cause that's kind of what I would take away from this passage. Yeah. I would just say also anger is a very powerful emotion. Maybe, maybe even the most powerful um, you know, that's another discussion for another time. What, you know, of going into different emotions, but, um, I would say the only one that's more powerful is like the feeling of loss. Like for example, like the Ohio state lost to Michigan, but <laughs> of course you had to bring that up somehow. For those of you who can't see, uh, Joseph has the, the Michigan Wolverine with the, the sailor cap or whatever as his, has his, uh, profile picture as ohio state fans we weren't sure how to handle that kind of loss because it was so rare back in november <laughs> well i don't think the michigan fans were too sure how to handle it either how to handle Listen, the win. i don't even know how to handle the i don't even know how to handle the win Jeez. yeah yeah <laughs> I, for, for, for the listeners out there and even for dad i'm not sure if i told you this but like afterwards i was like you know this i i remember feeling a similar feeling when the Cavs won the 2016 championship because i'm like Cleveland teams never win championships. What do I do? You know, and I'm Something's sure I'm sure it was right pretty, here. pretty the similar. Yeah, exactly. Broke. It's like it's almost like an out of body experience. But, but yeah. Anyways, though, um, going back to to anger, though, I think it's a very powerful emotion, and we have to make sure that through through the help of God, we manage it instead of letting it manage us. Um, and I think it also one more point to add is that if if we see something that biblically speaking we know is wrong and we're just like oh you know that's wrong okay whatever that probably isn't a good sign for us but if it makes us righteously angry i think that shows that we're in tune with god again as long as it lines up with you know with with what's said in the bible and what we feel the holy spirit is is prompting as as wrong um and so i think that, having righteous a, anger is is a good thing to that's have. a very interesting point about if we didn't have the righteous anger that's almost an indicator something's wrong because i was having this discussion in my life group this week, we were, we were kind of breaking down um, what we read in church as well. And it was like, there was a question about that. It said, what would this, what should this tell us about, um, you know, our condition with God or, or where we stand with God, if we don't get angry ever, like righteously angry, because it's almost like if you don't have that feeling, if you don't have that relationship, you're not going to be angry because you ultimately don't care. So I think it's a, not only is it something that we have to be careful, like to manage when it does occur, but it's almost a good sign that if you ever feel that, you know, building up for the right reasons, like, well, okay, I understand that maybe I, sh I need to be careful with this, but at the same time, it's good that I, you know, am in tune with God and have the Holy Spirit inside of me. Cause it is an indicator, um, like you're saying in some ways that, that we have a relationship with him, but it's about how we, how we treat that. So um, if, we, if we don't have any zeal for the things of God, obviously, you know, it says here in uh, verse 17 of, of John 2, zeal for your house will consume me. If you don't have any zeal for God, you know, then we're really acting like the lukewarm church of Laodicea that we see in Revelation. And Jesus literally wanted to vomit that church out of his mouth because they, they were neither cold nor hot. There was really nothing he could do with that church. And so, you know, if we, we may at times find ourselves in that realm. Well, 
What do we do? We go back to the spiritual disciplines. We pray. We get in the Bible. We make sure we're serving and worshiping together with other believers, you know, and over time that'll come back because we all cycle through in our lives where maybe we do feel a little lukewarm in our faith and, and don't feel zealous for God. Uh, but you're, you're absolutely right what you were talking about in your life group. If, if that's never happening, you probably aren't abiding close to Christ at, at this point in your life if that's never happening. And I want to add as well that we're not always going to be as passionate. I mean, when you're talking about zeal, that zeal is not always going to be there like 100% of the time as far as like being passionate about being saved. Like when you first get saved, it's a whole, like you feel in love with the faith. There's like so many things that change about your life and it's going to come and go as far as like emotions. But just like you're saying, and we're going to, Pete and I are going to say this every episode, almost every episode, if not every episode, how important it is to read, read the word every day. That, that, that's what's going to yes. keep us on track. Like that, you, like I said, you're going to hear it every time in the podcast is going to be nailed into your head. But like Pastor Mike was saying, the, the most important thing we can do is stay in the word. Is that, that's what's going to keep us straight with God. It's going to keep us straight with how we're seeing the world, how we're perceiving situations. And that's going to lead into other things like, like he was also saying with joining a church community. It's going to lead you to do that. If you're reading the word every day and reading passages on how important it is to do such a thing, you're not going to be able to ignore God's guidance on that. So is there anything else you want to add to that, Peter, before we wrap this, this topic up? I think I'm all good here. I think it was really, it was really good to get a second input. I think, I think I'm, I'm really glad we were able to, to get this going and I hope to have, you know, more guests in the future. I think it's, it's good to get a, a different perspective besides just mine and yours. Uh, but yeah, I don't think I have anything to add. And, yeah. And, and I want to say like, Pastor Mike's good too. I want to say that, you know, Peter didn't have too much time to speak this episode, but in comparison, but um, it, it was like he said, it's really good to have Pastor Mike on. I'd like to have him back on again, honestly, if he'd want to come back on. I'm not sure you could you could speak to that, Pastor Mike, but it was a it was a great conversation, and you know, I'd, maybe down the road we have have you on, you know, more often. Absolutely, it was my pleasure to be part of it. I enjoyed speaking with you guys, and and hopefully adding some some good truth for people to think about. And I know, you know, uh, it impacts me too, because I know I'm a work in progress. We all are. Yes, absolutely. So with that being said, we're going to go ahead and wrap this up. We're pushing close to an hour. So it was a great episode. Hope you guys took some value from, from this. But with that being said, episode nine is in the books. So please like the podcast, follow, leave a rating, whatever you can do on Spotify. I know you can leave stars on Apple. I know you can, can like and rate the podcast. So make sure you do that. But with that being said, we will see you guys next time. Have a great day. Peace.